Great morning, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of Thank God for Monday. I'm Brother Greg Cellini of the Franciscan Brothers of Brooklyn and Seton Hall University, class of 1985. My great pleasure to be back with you again today. The purpose of our show, Thank God for Monday, is to inspire you, our audience, to take personal responsibility for your professional satisfaction. We want to provide you hope, healing, and peace in these unprecedented, turbulent, uncertain times. Motivate you to search deep inside yourself in the quest for fulfillment. Listeners, it's really up to you as to utilize the information we provide today. Take full accountability for the decisions you make and the resulting outcomes. And one of the goals of our show, thank God for Monday, is to introduce role models. Role models of people who take very bold steps in their work lives. This is a very special time, the start of summer. And summer is supposed to be a time of relaxation and, in particular, reflection. And as such, we're honored today to have with us a very, very special guest. His name is Bruce McEver. Bruce founded Berkshire Capital all the way back in 1983, pioneering the concept of providing independent merger, acquisition, and strategic advisory services for investment managers and security firms. He is also the author of a very enlightening and timely book, Many Paths, A Poet's Journey Through Love, Death, and Wall Street. Great morning and welcome to Thank God for Monday, Bruce. God bless you. I'm glad to be here. <laughs> oh, the honor is all ours, certainly. Please share with the listeners from what city and state you are speaking from this morning. Well, I'm in Aspen, Colorado. Wow. But- that's a little. That's a little trendy. And eight thousand feet <laughs> at the summit. <laughs> I hear it's one of the most beautiful. The air is thin. In the world, absolutely, certainly. So you've made this host and the listeners very, very jealous this morning. Bruce, sorry to say, we've only got about thirty minutes. We could spend hours talking about you, talking about this incredible book you've written, talk about Berkshire Capital. We're just going to jump right into the deep end of the pool. Before we get into Berkshire Capital, however, please tell us just a little bit about yourself. Who is Bruce McEver? Uh, well, I was—I um, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, I went to school there, um, and uh, I uh, got an exchange scholarship. Uh, when I was at Georgia Tech to Germany my junior year. That sort of got me me out of the South to to see the rest of the world. And then, of course, uh, I went to to Harvard Business School after I got out of Georgia Tech. But in order to see the world, you have to join the Navy. And uh, that's what I did during Vietnam and uh, went across the Pacific three times. Wow. then I worked for the Secretary of Defense at the end of Vietnam, which was quite a, an insightful uh, 
thing. And um, I, I can imagine. Well, thank you for your service, certainly. Now, if we perceive correctly, it's then you started Berkshire Capital no, in the early no, 80s? No, or did no, no, no. I went, uh, I went from there to New York and I got in the, first of all, in the venture capital business right in 73. Oh, wow. For the crash. And uh, I got, uh, I was laid off. So I've been through that valley, that dark valley of unemployment and trying to find jobs and stuff. And then just being very disappointed, I got some, I got some really good jobs, but I was just very disappointed with what I was doing. And uh, I eventually went to, you know, into, into uh, therapy. My wife took me in there. I was a workaholic trying to prove myself. And I discovered, of course, I'm really an entrepreneur. I really like working for myself. And uh, so it wasn't until I started my own business that I really became uh, happy. And uh, it went it went on from there. The company is still going on. It's uh, got now maybe 50 people, uh, uh, 25 or 30 partners. And wow. uh, mergers with... Uh, Asset management securities firms, and it's and it's what it does. It's the largest probably in the country and in, in the world in terms of numbers of transactions, and they're just doing great. I I am I'm the chairman emeritus. Uh, in oh, the, but the partners are really a great group of great group of guys. And well, yeah. that is so wonderful. And thank you, first of all, for your service uh, in Vietnam uh, to our great country. That's for sure. Now, as you said, you started Berkshire Capital in the early 80s. Was it this dissatisfaction with what you were doing that kind of motivated Absolutely. you to do that? Peel the onion a little bit more for us. Tell us what you were thinking and feeling uh, back then, if you don't mind, please. Well, I went through a, a whole metamorphosis. I think I became, uh, I was on a religious quest like you, <laughs> oh, wow. I, was, I, I was searching and, and I've always been searching um, for that mysterious power and the thing that calls me. And it really, I found it outside. I guess I'm sort of like a, uh, uh, a pantheist, but I tried all different types of, um, of religions and uh, uh, I was just dissatisfied and I began writing journals and began writing poetry and taking, you know, starting a business and writing, taking classes at night. My, my late wife uh, was an opera singer and sing, you know, performing at night. She was performing all the time. Oh, wow. And uh, so uh, in order to stay out of bars and stuff, I, I, I took, courses in writing and, <laughs> and literature at the new school and stuff and had some in New York, you can really work with some of the best writers in the world. Oh. And uh, they were kind to take me under. And so um, I, I journaled a lot and sort of got it out of me that way. I did a lot of reading and stuff. And eventually after my, um, after my wife passed away suddenly, Oh, uh, and it's in the it's in the book. I had um, I had like a vision. I had uh, I had <laughs> it. it uh, well, that's another story. But I it eventually took me to Harvard Divinity School. Wow! Uh, and uh, so I commuted up there again while I was running a company 
two days a week, I went to divinity school and. Oh my. I got a degree in religion and literature. Oh, oh, this is just totally amazing. Now, if we could take a step back here. So in the seventies, you're you're working for others. You start Berkshire Capital then in the eighties. Have you always in your have you always been entrepreneurial even when you were Share with us a little bit more about that, please. Well, I think you you just don't like the way people do things. You know, you think, I don't know, maybe I can do it better. It's not or, that organized or stuff. I was, a, as I was telling you, I was uh, I was an Eagle Scout when I was 12 years old. Wow. I was the youngest in the state of Georgia, youngest Eagle Scout. And I don't, I just, I liked, um, I liked running things. And uh, I don't know, maybe I was, I was, uh, I could organize and I won't say see things, but and when I started my company, it w- I had been working for the chairman of uh, Payne Weber, who had in this tremendous ego. Uh, <laughs> he was brilliant, but just he, it was all him. And so you just couldn't, another ego <laughs> can't, can't thrive in that. You had to, you know, you had to, you had to, sort of start on your own. And I could see, it was about the time that Glass-Steagall was coming down, you could just see the consolidation among the financial institutions as they began to take out interstate banking, regu- uh, the regulation and stuff that kept the industries apart. Wow. Whether that's correct or not is, 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 a, is, is another matter, but I could see it happening and that there was a service needed to put those things together and do it, do it correctly. And particularly for the people that were being the acquirers you know, to find the right sort of homes and stuff. Wow. So you saw that there was a need out there in the marketplace and kudos to you, you seized that opportunity to fulfill yeah. that need. Yes, yes. Oh, oh that, that's terrific. Now, it's amazing that you've shared this adventure uh, Harvard Divinity School. So that is that is absolutely amazing. So maybe you can share with us, Bruce, a little bit more about your business philosophy and how your faith has informed the way you do business. If it has, I'm assuming it is, but indeed if it has. Um, I think um, I think my I think my philosophy is a very simple one. And it's the golden rule. Um, you know, treat the other. You don't, you don't take the last nickel off the table. You try to do a good transaction. You don't try to do the best one. You don't even try to nail it. Somebody gets screwed one way or the other. If you could do these things that are mutually, because these companies have to live together, particularly service companies with involved people. Companies have to live together after the transaction. And so it's, um, ours is a psychological business and putting those things together so they last and the people last and the relationships last is what is needed. It's what's needed in this country at the present time. We're splitting the country apart. This most recent decision by the Supreme Court, Roby, but it's just gonna split the country, you know? These are terrible decisions on the parts of politicians and such. Anyway, let's not go there, but um, <laughs> Thank you. I am, uh, 
Um, so what I'm trying to do or, is do things that have to be done because of the economic necessity, but they don't have to damage the people that are in those, in those companies. Wow. And uh, how do you preserve it? How do you, um, how do you, uh, you know, not break, sort of break the eggs? Yeah. And, uh, Just, Bruce, for the benefit of our listeners, I've had the honor of reading this book already and knowing much more about Berkshire Capital, but just to give a little more context for the listeners. So two companies might want to merge together and form a, a third company, if you will, and then you would be helping those? Is that what Berkshire Capital is? We're, we're doing the advisory between the two. You've got to represent one side or the other. Uh -huh. Very rare that you can you can do a, a real merger, you know. Be okay, okay. But it, you're representing one side or the other, and you're trying to get the best deal that you can. But you try to strike a deal that is um, fair for everyone. Ah, uh, that's the key there. Okay, so your faith. The Sermon on the Mount is the key. The the, the Christian epitome. That, oh, that share is more about that, please. Uh, well, it's a uh, that's our. Have you ever read the Jefferson Bible? I have not. I'm sorry to say. Okay, so Thomas Jefferson uh, wrote his own Bible. Uh, he edited the Bible uh, into really moral sayings of Jesus. But the, the key is the key is um, Matthew, I think five and five through seven, which is that's the Sermon on the Mount. Now we don't know whether that. Jesus actually preached that because there's a Sermon on the Mount and there's a Sermon on the Plain. But large parts of that are Jesus' actual words, particularly the Lord's Prayer. But in the center, you know, the, the, the uh, you know, balancing that sort of in the middle is the golden rule. Now, that's not Jesus saying those were, that's an ancient, 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 it's that almost in all religions is the, is the golden rule. It's 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 in the it's in every tradition. Wow, that's terrific. And so it's just it's like a centerpiece of, and it's very simple but very hard to carry out. And uh, like everything in that, I mean the 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 Sermon on the Mount carried us beyond Hammurabi's code. That was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth which was uh, in barbarian times, a leap in, in moral, you know, where you, you didn't destroy your enemy. Sure. Just took back what they had taken from you. So Jesus raised it to another level, which was turned the other cheek. Wow. And that is impossible. <laughs> so it's, it's just, you know, Tolstoy started his own religion doing that. Uh, Gandhi's, um, freed India using that and was one of Tolstoy's correspondents, and, you know, and Martin Luther King used that. And, you know, the whole civil rights movement that he did was, it's a, a blessing to having lived in the South, you know, just the nonviolence of that and, and the strict order of that was remarkable. Uh, so, Absolutely. Those are, those were people from, those were prophets. And uh, so anyway, that, but it is centered on that golden rule. Wow. Oh, that is so awesome to be able to do business that way, certainly. 
Now, if we understand correctly, Berkshire Capital, as you say, has a lot of partners, uh, not a little company by any means, but a global organization. I, I worked in global pharmaceuticals for 30 years, and I know there were some obstacles just being in that environment, but I was a, a little person on the totem pole, if you will. How did you overcome the obstacles of building a global business? Bruce, this is amazing. Well, I would, it's, it's called, the, my partners even changed the name to Berkshire Global Associates. Oh. Really quite pretentious because we only have, you know, we got an office in Sydney and London and uh, that's about it. But anyway, it's, uh, the asset management business is, um, uh, is a global business. I mean, it's now. And um, so we have to follow our clients. We need to be there. You had to globally invest. Um, and uh, so we needed to be in those centers. Luckily, the asset management business is run out of big cities like uh, Hong Kong and uh, Singapore and, oh, wow. and okay. whatever. So you don't have to go far. You just got to go to certain points on the company. Nice. But we, the, our first move was in, uh, in London and we had a number of things that we tried over there with some wonderful people. And then uh, eventually one of our uh, lady partners, Glenna Webster, uh, married an Englishman. She came in to resign when we were, the, the partners were trying to, you know, I guess we were down to sort of who's gonna draw the short straw and go to London. <laughs> we were actually at that point. And, and Glenna walks in one day, she says, I'm resigning. And I said, well, how come? You know, you're doing a great job. She was our first female partner. And oh, wow. she says, well, he's English. <laughs> and I said, wait a minute. I shut the door. And I said, yeah, congratulations. You're our new London partners. Oh, my goodness. That's awesome. So it was oh. just, it really was awesome. And uh, we had some, we had Andrew Martin Smith, who, uh, Sir Andrew Martin. But anyway, we had some wonderful people that joined mm. us over there. Oh, that's terrific. That Sir Jamie Ogilvy. Mm. Oh, wow. Now, what amazes me even more about you, Bruce, you're a published poet. And here you are, this fabulous entrepreneur uh, going to Harvard, going to Divinity School, and yet you're also a published poet. Very, very curious, how did your creativity help you in your business endeavors? I'm assuming it did. Share with us about this, please. Well, maybe it's just being, uh, maybe you see things a little bit differently or try to see things out of the box. Um, I try, I get my inspiration from nature, frankly, and, and being outside. I try to keep my eye I try to minimize my screen time. Wow. Uh, I spend as much time outside as I possibly can. It's where I've always gotten my inspiration. I write from an image uh, and try to um, describe that image. Of course, words can't match what is there. I wish I were a painter. I wish I were a composer. Mm. And you could do things in different ways, but doing it with words is, uh, you know, it's another, it's what I can do. Uh, 
and uh, just putting it to putting a painting a picture with with words and going off of the image because the image can be so powerful. It's like an emotional grenade that you throw, uh, which is poetry or part of poetry. And um, so that's what I try to do. Like I say, I've been very, I've been, I've had some really great friends. One of them was Tom Locks, who got me to actually write my story, which is why I wrote that memoir. Oh, this this is amazing because yeah, we took a look at some of your poems and uh, really just so beautifully written. Well, and is there an example, Bruce, of uh, an object you say you like to be outdoors? And is there like an object that you saw that you kind of concentrated on and then a poem just flowed from there? I'd love to share with the audience and I maybe an example of, of something. Oh, gosh, I don't have any. Uh... Just curious, something if something comes to mind. Well, um, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a actually I'm, where I'm sitting right now. There's a tin horse in 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 the yard out here. Ah, a sculpture, and ah. uh, I'm sort of talking. I wish I could find that point. Maybe I can. Um, uh, <laughs> I think it's on my on my computer. Oh, damn it. Uh, that's okay. We, we were just good. So you'll see something outside because you say yeah, you love the right about it. It takes you. It takes you someplace else, mm. and, it becomes, and it begins to represent something else—a tree or a rock or something. You know. Oh wow, that that is really wonderful. Let's shift gears, if we may, because uh, time's getting a bit short. We've got about uh, six minutes left. Okay. Your new book, many paths. A Poet's Journey Through Love, Death, and Wall Street, published earlier this year. What prompted you really, uh, Bruce, to write this incredible memoir? Um, well, I was, uh, I've, I've, I've had a, a lot of friends who have been writers. It was, it was Tom Lux, who's now passed away. Who I'm was, sorry. Uh, from... Uh, Sarah Lawrence, uh, and uh, then uh, ran the program that I actually started. It was uh, between Tom and I, an idea to start a thing called Poetry at Tech. Uh, there are now two chairs of poetry at Georgia Tech, of all places. Oh, wow. And um, so Tom, uh, listening to some of my stories, I just come back from China on one of these adventures. And he said, you know, you should write your story down. But um, uh, there was a guy named, uh, I think it was Rod McEver, McIver, who had a magazine early on called Heron Dance. And he was an artist who had, he had had, actually he'd been in the pharmaceutical industry and he had uh, cancer and, you know, stopped and decided what he was trying to do was encourage people who were not, uh, you know, published writers to begin to write, to sort of pull it out of you because it's so cathartic, the writing. Mm. I, um, and it was sort of the writing, it was sort of my wife's death that got, you know, got me to write. But uh, wow. I, I had a real chance. I, I was, I went out to uh, Stanford University on a, on a sabbatical. And you, at that you were asked to take a path and I got into the creative writing uh, path 
and interviewed with a woman named Van Bolin, who's just a wonderful person. She's now passed away. Oh. She said, uh, we got to know one another very well. And she, uh, she um, uh, had me work with John Evans, who runs her memoir uh, writing section. Mm. John had an incredible background. He had lost his first wife who was killed by a bear. Oh, oh my gosh. About this experience. He's a wonderful man and a great writer and he pulled it out of me. So I came back from Stanford with 600 pages. I wrote a chapter a week. We met oh, wow. lunch and I had to cut that down to 350. Yeah, because this is a hearty book. I'm looking at it now, 330 or almost 360 pages, certainly. Right. Just so, so beautifully it. written, your command of the English language here, and Thank you. how you portray things is just fabulous. I uh, cut it back, and then uh, what my pub publishers, my editors, uh, uh, Andrew, uh, um, and, uh, <laughs> Andrew Sullivan and uh, John Gosley, who are just the guys that run CNR Fest, uh, we put poetry back in it, is what we did. Oh, not yet. That really makes it so, so even more beautiful, uh, Bruce. No, no doubt about that. We've saved the most important questions for last. Where can our loyal listeners purchase Many Paths, A Poet's Journey Through Love, Death, and Wall Street? And is there a way our listeners can even follow you somehow, please? Uh, um, I have a, a, a website. Um... BruceMcEver.com, I think, www. And uh, the way to get it is through the CNR Press. Uh, and uh, they have a website, which I don't have handy in front of me here. That's uh, okay, certainly. Have it. And uh, you can also get it on Amazon. However, through CNR Press, the proceeds of this are going to the Religious Literacy Foundation, which is my... Uh, oh. Oh, how extra beautiful that is. After I got out of uh, divinity school. Wow. Just to share with our listeners again, that's C-Ambersan-R-Press. They're out of Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Again, the title of the book, Many Paths, A Search for Love. Uh, I'm sorry, Many Paths, A Poet's Journey Through Love, Death, and Wall Street. And Bruce McEver, Bruce's uh, last name is spelled, it's actually McEver, but M-C-E-V-E-R. So listeners, do yourselves a favor, pick up one for yourself. Summer is a beautiful time for reflection. This book is an incredible, incredible reflection tool. Uh, one of the things it did for me, it helped motivate me even more to get back to journaling on a daily basis, which there is go. so therapeutic. So thanks for that gift, uh, Ruth. But buy one for yourself, buy one for someone else that you love, certainly, and share this memoir as a token of appreciation and love for someone special uh, in your life. Bruce McEver, author of Many Paths, we can't thank you enough for gracing us here on Thank God for Monday today. Yes, we've been enlightened much more. We've been inspired. You have an incredibly courageous story. At Seton Hall, our motto, hazards at forward, advance despite difficulties. You are a role model of that. So continued joy, success, 
and uh, all the best with this great book of yours and getting it out into the world. God bless you and keep up your good work. Thank you so very, very much. Listeners, guess what? Once again, we're out of time. Greg's saying our hope and prayer is that when you wake up on Monday morning, just like Bruce does, you'll say, thank God for Monday. Until next week for another episode of Thank God for Monday. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Saturday morning again on Thank God for Monday. Bye-bye, everyone.